Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to speak to you today, and the title of my message, uh, I, I, I actually titled this um, earlier in the week, and then yesterday did a little uh, video on Facebook, or not Facebook, Instagram, uh, story video, and a bunch of people responded. They were like, yeah, people were texting me fire emojis, and I was like, that's great, okay. So I, I hope it comes across as good as people are expecting it to, uh, <laughs> but the title of my message today is, Which Direction Will You Run? Which Direction Will You Run? There is a phenomena that occurs in human beings when we come face to face with a perilous or dangerous situation. This response is both biological and psychological, meaning that it affects us both on a physical and on a mental level. It's called the acute stress response. Have you ever heard of this? The acute stress response? More commonly known as the fight or flight response. Every one of us has felt it throughout the course of our lives. You've heard of the fight or flight response, right? You get into a challenging situation and you've, you're, you're faced with a, with a situation that forces you to run, right? Um, I can remember, and I'm sure you guys would, would agree that you have situation, you've had situations in your life where you've experienced this. I can remember riding my bike. I used to, I used to ride uh, before my wife and I had all these children. I used to ride uh, a road bike, and um, not too far from my house is a road called Cranberry Springs, and I used to ride the road bike up Cranberry Springs, and the first time I ever did it, I, was, I had a new bike, uh, I was still fairly inexperienced on this particular bike, and so I was just learning the gears and learning everything, so I kind of, I'm riding down Cranberry Springs, and I have my head down, just figuring stuff out, and, and it was one of those bikes that was the first first time that I'd ever had a road bike where your feet clipped into the pedals, like real Tour de France stuff, you know, and, uh, and so I got my helmet, my spandex, and I'm real all Lance Armstronged out, you know, water bottles, and I'm just figuring everything out while we go here, you know, and I'm coming up Cranberry Springs, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes this dog, and I got no knife, I got, I'm wearing spandex, I've literally, I've got nothing. I'd, and and, and even, to, even to kick the dog, I'd have to unclip my, my foot from the pedal. I'm like, this is bad news. I remember trembling. Your skin gets either pale or flushed. You begin breathing faster, and your entire body becomes tense and ready to take action. This is the fight or flight response. You are put into a situation, follow me here, where you are going to run. You're going to run. The question is, which direction will you run? Will you run to the fight? Do you get off the bike and chase the dog back? Or do you run to safety? You're going to run. Sometimes situations come along in our lives and put us into a scenario where we're going to run. The question is, what direction are we going to run? Are we going to run to the adversary or away from the adversary? Are we going to run at the battle or are we going to flee from the battle? Which way are you going to run? I want us to take a look at one of the most well-known Bible stories in the world this morning. And I mentioned this on my Instagram post yesterday. I want us to look at David and Goliath. 
We're going to look at how David handled himself during one of the most raw, fierce, and intimidating experiences in the whole Bible. I I struggle to find a more intimidating experience in the Bible. You all know the story of David and Goliath. I mean, it's like top five most famous Bible stories of all time, right? Like, Jesus died on the cross, David and Goliath, right? Noah, Moses, a handful of others, but this one's in the top for sure. And this is a raw, unnerving, challenging situation. I think that because we're so familiar with it, it's easy for us to kind of just think of this as routine, as a routine story. Oh, yeah, you know, David beats Goliath. The little guy overpowers the big guy. Yeah, if you think about it, think about putting yourself in David's shoes and realize this was a hairy situation. Not only is David's whole life on the line, Because if he dies, he's dead, right? I know that's real deep. If he he dies, he's dead. But, But what else happens after David's dead? Then the whole nation of Israel is now enslaved to the Philistines. This was a loaded scenario. And yet David does something that's absolutely amazing. Let me give you a little bit of context, and then I'm going to read it to you from uh, the Message Bible, and I just want you to listen. I don't even want you, I, I, want, I want us to pretend we're sitting around a campfire and I'm reading you this story that you never heard before, okay? But let me give you a little context before I read it. Israel, here's the context. Israel is at war with the Philistines. Each of the armies are staging themselves for a battle. The Philistines are invading Israel, so Israel is in a defensive position within the borders of their own country. Each of the armies is arrayed on opposite hilltops, overlooking a valley in between, and each day, rather than fighting, a giant known as Goliath comes out from the Philistine ranks to taunt the Israeli army and engage them in conflict. His goal is simple. As a national hero and champion of the Philistine army, Goliath seeks to lure out a strong man from Israel to fight him. Whoever wins the fight wins the war for his country. Each day he cries out to Israel, taunting and belittling them for 40 days, once in the morning and once in the evening. How many of you know that when the devil's coming after you, he doesn't relent? Right? Can I get a stronger amen than that? I'm talking to some people that have been through some stuff. Anybody been through some stuff in here? Anybody in some stuff right now? You in the soup? You want to know how to get through the scenario and the, the situation that you're in? I want to teach you today. I want to look at David and find out how to run at the battle instead of running away from the battle. If you've been in a battle, if you're in a scenario that you feel like you're going uphill, let me tell you, David's going to give us some insight on how to deal with that, okay? So now, now continuing here, David is sent from his father's house to bring supplies and food to his three oldest brothers who are in the Israeli army and are at the scene of the battle. This is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. There's like 60 verses in this chapter. I didn't want to read all of them to you, so I figured I'd give you a little condensed recap of context. This is coming from the Message Bible, 1 Samuel 17. It says, David was up at the crack of dawn, and having arranged for someone to tend his flock... He took the food and was on his way, just as Jesse had directed him. That's his father. He arrived at the camp just as the army was moving into battle formation, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines moved into position, facing each other, battle ready. 
David left his bundles of food in the care of the sentry and ran to the troops who were deployed and greeted his brothers. While they were talking together, the Philistine champion, Goliath of Gath, stepped out from the front lines of the Philistines and gave his usual challenge. David heard him. Everybody say, David heard him. Every single day for 40 days, morning and night, had been the same until this day that somebody with faith showed up to the battle and heard what was going on. I want to tell you, I don't know how much the devil's been pounding on your door. I don't know how much the circumstance has been pushing you. But I'm going to encourage you today to be the David in your family. Be the David in your household. Show up to the battle and show up with some faith and hear what's really going on so that you can be empowered to put a stop to it. Amen? Let's keep reading. The Israelites, to a man, fell back the moment they saw the giant, totally frightened. The talk among the troops was, have you ever seen anything like this? This man openly and defiantly challenging Israel? The man who kills this giant will have it made. The king will give him a huge reward. Offer his daughter as a bride and give his entire family a free ride. David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, What's in it for the man who kills that Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honor? Who does he think he is anyway? This uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of the living God. They told him what everyone was saying about what the king would do for the man who killed the Philistine. Eliab, his brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. What is it with you, replied David. Don't you love how brothers just talk to each other? What is it with you, replied David. All I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else, asked the same question, and got the same answer as before. The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul, so Saul sent for him. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. Saul answered David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced, and he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. David said, I've been a shepherd, tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it and knock it down and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck, and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who's taunting the troops of the living God. God, who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear, will deliver me from this Philistine. Saul said, go, and God be with you. Then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. He put his bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armor. David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it all off. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack with his sling in his hand, approached Goliath. As the Philistine paced back and forth, 
As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered, a mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach-fuzzed. I don't know why all the fruit showed up in this story all of a sudden. Imagine this for a second before I continue. Imagine the scenario. This is a 10-foot-tall man-mountain named Goliath. The Bible talks about how he was the descendants of a race of people called the Anakim. These were actual giants. They were huge individuals. And Goliath was their offspring, a few descendants down. And here's David, who is definitely, definitely not 20 years old yet. He's 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there. All he's ever done is watched a bunch of sheep. No battle experience, okay? You want to talk about on-the-job training. No battle experience. And here's Goliath. What an offense this must have been to Goliath, right? Like, what, how offensive is this? Really, Israel? You're going to send out one of your Cub Scouts to come and tackle me, to come against me? I'm the champion, y'all. What, what is this? No wonder he responds the way that he responds. The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come to me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. David answered, oh, I love this. David answered, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies. The God of Israel's troops whom you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me. Listen, listen to the trash talk that proceeds from young David's mouth. This is amazing. This very day, God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you, cut off your head, and serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. The whole earth will know there's an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword and spear. The battle belongs to God. He's handing you to us on a platter. Man, that roused the Philistine. Yeah, no wonder. That roused the Philistine and he started toward David. Watch this now. David took off from the front line, running toward the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead. Embedding the stone deeply, the Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. And that's how David beat the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He hit him and he killed him. No sword for David. Then David ran up to the Philistine and stood over him, pulled the giant sword from its sheath, and finished the job by cutting off his head. When the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered, running for their lives. The men of Israel and Judah were up on their feet, shouting. They chased the Philistines all the way to the outskirts of Gath and the gates of Ekron. That's over there by the New River, the gates of Ekron. By, by meat camp. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. <laughs> it's funny. 
Let me ask you a question. Which direction did David run? When the fight or flight kicked in for old Dave, which direction did he go? He ran toward the fight. He ran toward the fight. Why? It's because faith always runs straight towards the challenge. Faith never takes the easy way out. Faith never looks for a simpler way to get out of this situation. Faith is willing to go straight towards the challenge, look the devil right in the eye, and tell him exactly where to go. Because faith knows who's behind it. Faith knows that God, if God is for me, who can be against me? And so faith always runs right at the challenge. Amen. David did not run back to his brothers. He didn't run back to Saul. He didn't get halfway in there, realize he'd made a bad mistake, and then go, oh, no, let me run back to Saul. He'll help me. How many of you know sometimes you get into something, and there's just what we call the point of no return? <laughs> Amen. I, was growing, I, I grew up in Niagara Falls, New York, and uh, grew up on the Niagara River. And uh, the upper river, there's two parts of the river, the upper river and the lower river. The upper river is before the water goes over the falls, and the lower river is after it goes over the falls. And in the upper river, there is a spot very clearly marked called the point of no return. Uh, and you, if you're a boater on the Niagara River, you know where that is, because if you go past it, there's a good chance, even if you rev your motor, you're not going to return, because the current just gets too strong. I believe David was in that kind of situation. Here he is standing up on this hill, trash-talking the Philistine, and he starts to run at him. And as he runs at him, he's past the point of no return. There is no opportunity for retreat at this point. I want to submit to you that God loves impossible challenges. God loves to meet you at the point of no return. Amen. God loves to get right with you, right next to you, right as you cross the point of no return. That's where faith works. A lot of people are concerned about whether or not their faith will work, but the reality is faith doesn't work until you go past the point of no return. Because anything prior to that is not faith. Oh, come on. Anything prior to the point of no return, it just ain't faith. It's you having a backup plan. Amen. You remember what A.W. Tozer said? A.W. Tozer said, real faith is when you intentionally, on purpose, put yourself in a situation where only God can be the answer. Everything other than that is pseudo-faith. It's, yeah, I trust God, but I got option A, B, C, D, E, F, and G behind me if this doesn't work. Faith doesn't work until you get past the point of no return. God loves impossible challenges. It's where he shines. So I have a question for us this morning that I want us to answer. What made David run toward Goliath? What made David run toward Goliath? And what will make you run toward every challenge that you face? I want to encourage somebody this morning. I want to stir your heart to believe God this morning. I want you to leave this place knowing that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. I want you to leave this place with total confidence that God is exactly who God said that he would be. And that he'll meet you in the moment of your need when you're willing to put faith in him. So what was it that made David run toward Goliath? And what is it that will make you run straight to every challenge that you face? I have six things, six things that I saw that David did. 
I want you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these six things down. We'll go through them one at a time. What made David run toward Goliath, number one? He saw that Goliath was mocking the living God. He saw that Goliath was mocking the living God. Goliath's words were an attempt to undermine the name of God. Look at what David said. I'm going to read this to you from the New King James, and you can put this up on the screen. 1 Samuel 17, verse 46. Look at this. Look at how David responds. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you and take your head from you, and this day I'll give you the carcasses, excuse me, this day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field. Watch, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. What was the motivation, the primary motivation behind why David ran at Goliath? It's because he recognized that Goliath was trying to undermine the name of God. What is it that the enemy's trying to do in your life? What is the problem, the challenge, the issue that you face? Is it sickness and disease? Is it trouble in your marriage? Is it divorce? Is it strife? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it confusion? Whatever the thing that the enemy is trying to do in your life, the attempt is not just to take you out, but to undermine the name of God. Cancer is an attempt to undermine who God said he is. See, God said, I'm Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God that heals. So ever since God said that, the enemy's been trying to undermine the reality of that in people's lives ever since then. If you look back at the Garden of Eden, the only, we, we, we see how the enemy came to Eve with his deception. And I, I've often said this, the devil's got no new tricks. The same way he talked to Eve is the same way he's going to talk to you. What did he say to Eve? He said, has God really said? So everything the enemy does is to try to undermine the word of God and undermine the name of God. So here's, here's Goliath, inspired by the devil, shouting curses at the name of God and at the nation of Israel. And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this fool that keeps taunting the name of the living God? It caused something to rise up on the inside of David that courage came and he said, man, if nobody's going to do anything about it, I'm going to. You're not going to keep talking about my God that way. You're not going to keep blaspheming the name of God. I'm going to put a stop to this. Oh, but David, you're only 16 years old and you've never seen a giant before. You've never been to battle. You don't even have a sword, David. Doesn't matter. This fool is coming at the name of God and I'm going to deal with it. You see, when something comes into your life, when the enemy pushes on you and attacks you in a certain way, something needs to rise up on the inside of you that says, Nuh-uh, nobody is going to make my God look bad. Nobody is going to come at the name of the Lord God. I'm going to do something about it. Amen. Number two. What made David run toward Goliath? Number two, he saw that there was a promise on the other side of the fight. He saw that there was a promise on the other side of the fight. Verse 25, so profound. He says, So the men of Israel said, 
Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. David's like, that's a heck of a benefits package. What's going to happen? That's why he asks twice. He said, wait, wait a minute. What's going to happen? Run it by me again, fellas. You mean that whoever kills this guy gets the king's daughter and a pile of cash and no taxes forever. Is that right? Boy, you want to talk about a political uh, you know, ticket to run on. <laughs> Vote for me. I'll give you my daughter and money and no taxes. <laughs> this fired David up. Why? Because he recognized there's a promise attached to victory. There's a promise on the other side of the fight. The reality is that, that everything that God promised you is available to you if you'll persevere when the going gets tough. Oh, but Lord, it doesn't feel good right now. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the middle of a challenging situation where my faith is being tested. That's why James tells us to count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials and temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. Oh, Lord, there's something on the other side of this challenge, and if I'll hold fast and if I'll remain steadfast, if I'll be consistent, you'll see me through. If I go to the point of no return with you, you'll make sure I get to the other side, and there'll be something good waiting for me on the other side. Amen. So there's a promise attached to his fight. There was a reward that was connected to him not being afraid. Number three, that was number two. Number three reason why David ran toward Goliath. Number three reason why you're going to be able to run at every challenge that comes your way. It's that he knew that he couldn't lose. <laughs> Think about that for a second, y'all. He knew that he couldn't lose. I mean, every time I get into a tough situation, I, I try to go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Will you put that up on the screen? Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Oh, man, this is so good. Romans eight thirty-one. Check this out. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, what would your life look like if you knew you couldn't lose? What would your challenges look like if you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew that you couldn't fail, that you couldn't lose, that you couldn't come up on the short end of the stick? What would happen? How would you live your life if every challenge you knew there was victory on the other side of it and you said, there's just no way that I can lose? We say, well, how did David know that he, that he couldn't lose? Well, think about this for just a second. We're, we're in, in 1 Samuel 17. Do you know what happens in 1 Samuel 16? Anybody know what happens there? Don't look in your Bible and peek and cheat. What happens in 1 Samuel 16? David gets anointed to be king by Samuel the prophet. Samuel comes to his house and dumps a horn of oil on top of David, anointing him to be king. I believe, I've not heard people preach this, but I believe it to be true, that when David got to the battlefield, do you know what he was thinking of? 
Someday I'm going to be King David, and this is going to be part of my history. I believe he got there, and he looked at this Goliath, and he said, I know that I can't lose because God said last chapter that I was going to be king, and this dude's trying to put a stop to Israel, and we just ain't going to have that. So I'm going to go and deal with him face to face, and God, if God is for me, who can be against me? Can you find somebody that can stand up to God? I don't think you can. So this battle is already over. Glory to God. He knew that he wasn't going to lose. He couldn't lose because God was working with him because God had given him a destiny. God had made him a promise. You're going to be the king of this nation someday. And so David said, of course I can't lose because God can't lie. I can't lose because God can't lie. Come on. I love this. I love this. Watch this. David talked like the fight was already over. You, you, look at, you look at it, man. Go back to verse 46. Go back to verse 46. This is amazing. Look at this. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I'll strike you and take your head from you. This day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. He, David talked like the thing was already over. He talked like it was a foregone conclusion. You need, listen, let me give you some practical, you know, practical application for this. You need to quit talking like the devil even has a chance in your life. You need to quit talking like the devil's even got one iota of a smidge of a percentage of a minute chance in your life. He's been defeated, folks. I'm telling you, he has been defeated and disarmed and he is, he is absolutely, he's been shamed for all of eternity. He can't win. That means you can't lose. You need to start talking like the battle's already over. Because it is. In God's eyes, I believe he honored David. And he honored David's words. This was a foregone conclusion to David. And you know what? It was to God as well. David here is getting a chance to see the battle from God's perspective. Number four, what made David run toward Goliath? What will make you run toward every challenge that you face? Number four, he remembered the lion and the bear. He remembered the lion and the bear. He recalled his personal history with God. He remembered every other time that God had proven himself faithful to David. I think that we don't make a big enough deal of this. I think we don't make a big enough deal out of this. Because we teach faith and we teach believing. We teach confessing, confessing the word. We teach praying in the spirit. We teach getting excited and stirred up. But oftentimes we forget to tell people, hey, go back in your memory and think back to the last time you were in a situation like this. And think back and think about how God took you out of that situation too. And then go back a little farther and think about the one before that and the one before that and the one before that. And before you know it, you're tallying up carcasses, man. There was a lion here. There was a bear here. There was a lion here. There was a bear here. There was two bears. There was three lions. I remember it was July 17th, 1987, and these three lions came out to try to steal my sheep. And, and I just rose up, and I choke slammed them and ripped them apart with my bare hands because that's exactly what happened. 
There's two people in the Bible that literally tore a lion to pieces, Samson and David, physically. I was watching Lion King last night with my kids, the new one, because I hadn't seen the new one yet. And so I was like, well, what are we going to watch? Well, let's watch, watch, watch The Lion King. So we're watching The Lion King, and I'm looking at these things that are animated that look so real. And I was intimidated. I'm like, oh, my God. Look at that lion. And all I could think about was this passage. All I could think about was David, little scrawny 16-year-old David, rising up and literally with his hands ripping to pieces a lion. What kind of crazy boldness is that? What kind of crazy I-know-who-my-God-is attitude is that? He remembered the lion and the bear. He went back into his personal history with God and said, if the Lord did it for me then, I know that he'll do it for me now. Amen. He remembered how God had proven himself. The devil will try to discredit God in your life. Please, please get this. The devil will try to discredit God in your life by discrediting the times that God has moved in your life. The devil will try to discredit God in your life by discrediting the times that the Lord has moved in your life. So you'll go back to start remembering, oh, I remember this experience that I had with God. And a little voice will perk up and say, that wasn't God. You just had too much cheese. And you went to bed. You know, you, you, you'll remember when, when God gave you a dream. And, you'll be, and the enemy will be like, no, you just ate too much turkey and mashed potatoes before you went to bed that night. That wasn't from God. You'll remember a moment in church where God ministered to you and blessed you and did something for you. And the enemy will work overtime to discredit that memory. He'll try to discredit God in that moment. You'll have a better explanation for how that moment played out. The reality is the enemy is just trying to disconnect you from, the, from who God really is. I'm telling you folks, every one of us, every last one of us has had moments where God has intervened in our life. You need to catalog that. You need to remember that. Don't forget where you came from. Do you know all, all throughout Israel's history, when God was leading them through the wilderness and through the promised land, all the time he's telling them, stop here, build me an altar. God didn't need the altar, Israel did. Think about this. God didn't need another altar, Israel needed an altar as a memorial so that they would remember this is where God met us. This is where God did an amazing thing. Number five. I got five minutes left. We'll try to get these last two points out. Number five. David knew what his real weapon was. Oh, this one's so good. Oh, man, this one's so good. David knew what his real weapon was. Verse 45, look at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Why did David run at Goliath? Because he knew what his real weapon was. He came in the name of the Lord. The Bible goes on to say that David declares that the battle belongs to the Lord. And I'm here to submit to you today that when the battle belongs to the Lord, the weapons are irrelevant. Come on. 
Come on, y'all. When the battle belongs to the Lord, the weapons are irrelevant. David could have gone at him with a roll of duct tape and a toothpick, and he still would have beat Goliath because it didn't matter. I mean, here's Goliath with all these battle axes and a guy carrying his you know, shield and these huge spears and swords and all this stuff. And here comes little four-foot-nothing David with a slingshot and a few rocks. I'm telling you, it could have been belly button lint. He still would have beat Goliath because the battle was not his. It was the Lord's. And when the battle belongs to the Lord, the weapons are irrelevant. Nothing that you bring to the table matters when God gets in it. Amen. He knew what his real weapon was. It was the name of the Lord. (laughs) Verse 50 goes on to say, David defeated him with a stone and a sling. I put in my notes, it could have been a straw and a milkshake. Wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, amen. Got a couple good amens out of that one. Hallelujah. I know where you're going after church. Wouldn't have mattered because the battle was the Lord's. Finally, David knew that when one wins, we all win. Why did David, why was David not afraid to run at the battle? Because he recognized that when one wins, when, we, when one of us wins, we all win. Verse 52 says, the men of Israel shouted and pursued the Philistines all the way back to their country. Every time you walk in victory, the victory that Jesus bought for you, every time you walk in that victory, the kingdom of God advances. I want you to get this. This is intense. Every time you and I walk in the victory Jesus purchased for us, the kingdom of God takes another step forward. All of us, when one wins, we all win. I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the Super Bowl, when it happens, is, is like the biggest sporting event on the planet almost. And, and um, there's guys on the football team, on the winning team, that don't even play in the game. But they still get a ring. And they're still, you know, when they go back to their town, they're still on the bus, you know, driving through, the, through Main Street. You know, we won, and there's confetti everywhere. They're just as happy as the rest of the guys on the team, and they didn't play a snap. They didn't play one down in the game. Doesn't matter. Because they recognize that when one of us wins, we all win, man. Yeah, I didn't serve, I didn't serve on the team that day, but, uh, but we won. And my name's going in the, in the record books for all of history. Here's the point. You may not know who else is waiting on you to get victory in your life. You may not know who's waiting on your testimony. You may not know who's watching you. Parents, you may forget. Sometimes I forget. It's easy to forget that my kids are watching me to see whether or not I'll walk in victory. It's easy to forget that maybe my spouse is watching to see how am I going to handle this attack that comes from the enemy. And it's important for us to remember that when one of us wins, when one of us walks in victory, when one of us heads straight for the enemy and and is victorious, we all take a nice big step forward. The kingdom of God advances every single time we get victory. I said to a young man, who's a student here at ASU, we were talking, we had lunch on Friday, and I, he's, I'm kind of mentoring him a little bit, and I said to him, I said, you know what, brother? I said, every single time somebody moves forward in the things of God, we need to celebrate it. 
We need to celebrate it. I'm talking about it, it might seem like the most insignificant victory to you, but to that person, they just won a major battle in their life. We need to celebrate it, man. We need to celebrate it because we're all moving forward. The kingdom of God's going forward. And there's some, listen, you might feel like David alone on the battlefield, but I guarantee you there's an army of folks watching behind you to see what happens. And when you strike the giant dead, everybody is going to get up on their feet. Everybody's going to rejoice. Everybody's going to be empowered. Everybody is going to believe that they can do it when they watch you do it. So don't run from the battle. Don't retreat. Don't go the other way. Stand and take your place of faith. Stand up and say, if God be for me, who can be against me? I'll be the example if nobody else wants to be the example. I'll do it if nobody else wants to do it because I believe in the one who called me. I believe that he's faithful. I believe that if God is for me, nobody can be against me. I believe you could stack up a billion soldiers on the other side of the line and it could just be me and my Bible and that's all I need because you plus Jesus is a majority. Amen? And when the battle is the Lord's, the weapons are irrelevant. He that came out against you cannot stand before you. Deuteronomy chapter 20, all y'all get me preaching in here. Deuteronomy chapter 28 says that our enemies, though they come out against me one way, shall flee before me seven ways. Why? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You can't lose. You can't lose. I mean, think about it. Think about how you can't lose. What's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario is you die. Right? I mean, just think about it. Just like take it all the way to its farthest conclusion. What is the worst case scenario that could happen to you? You die. And you are immediately standing before the throne of Almighty God for all of eternity. That's winning, folks. I'm talking about even in death you won. You can't, listen, you, you, know, you ever heard that statement, you can't keep a good man down? You just can't keep a good man down. Worst case scenario, you're in heaven with Jesus forever. Cha-ching, I'll take it. One for me, zero for the devil. It's a fixed fight, guys. It's a fixed fight. You can't lose. You can't be defeated. Because greater is he that lives in you than he that's in the world. I want you to be stirred up today. I want you to go home from this place knowing that whatever God's called you to, he's able to deliver you into that thing. He anointed David to be king, and he brought David through every challenge and made sure that David became the king that he called him to be. Whoever God's called you to be, whatever he's called you to do, however your life is supposed to play out in the plan of God, know that he will get you there and you can't lose. Amen. Glory to God. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.